on the property experience, our hosts Zarko Jokic and Anna Porter will take you behind the curtain of the property market Australia-wide. Welcome back to another episode of The Property Experience. Today we have the fabulous Amanda Gould from High Spec Properties. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Anna. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, I'm excited about today because we get asked all the time about this hot, hot, very overheated, hot Sydney market, and you are right in the trenches of it. So I think we can really work, and you're a buyer's agent, so you're not selling, so I'd love to spend some time really drilling into how buyers can manage and navigate this heated market and what this means for buyers. First, I'd love to know a little bit about your business and what you do and, and your property journey. Where did you start and how come you came into it professionally? That's actually a good question, Anna. Uh, so I started buying property and real estate in 1988. It was my first investment property in Manly, a little studio. It's all I could afford when the interest rates were 18.74%. Mm-hmm. It's in, you're the second person in this in this series today that's talked about high interest rates. So yep. really interesting. I think there'll be a lot of young people listening to this thinking, Shocked. wow, that'll never happen. Right. But it, you've lived it. Yeah, I have. And I bought it for 66000 It was on Addison Road, which is one of the best streets in, in Manly. And I was earning 5900 a year as a travel consultant. Yeah. So and I think that's so important. People go, oh, well, you only paid $66,000. So it was really cheap. 18% means nothing. But you also weren't earning you know, $80,000, $100,000 a year like people tend to earn. No, I mean, that'll shock a lot of listeners, 5900 a year, yeah. not a month. <laughs> yeah. So it's all relative, right? Yeah. And that's what um, sparked my property journey. I bought a really ugly, unrenovated 1960s unit um, and I just made it look pretty. Uh, there was no such show as uh, the block or anything like that back then. Uh, but what So I, it wasn't glamorous to renovate back oh, in the day? Oh, <laughs> no, no. And it, well, I wouldn't really call it a renovation. I'd call it a tart up. Uh, yeah. I painted it, put new carpet, I painted the doors and cupboards in the in the kitchen. Um, I didn't really know how to renovate properly or do anything, but I just, and I put a new vanity in the bathroom, but I got more rent. And that just showed me that adding a little bit of value or while not a huge amount out of my pocket, um, got an end result um, that was, um, that it increased, which was great. Mm-hmm. And that's what sparked my passion and property journey. From then I started buying unrenovated properties, renovating them. Sometimes I would hold them, sometimes I would flip them. And from there, um, I, a lot of friends would see me, especially when I was flipping, they'd ask me, oh, you know, can you come and help me at auction? I'm too scared to bid by myself. Or can you, if you see this property, this is what I'm looking for, they'd give me their brief. I didn't even know what a buyer's agent was when I first started the company. Uh, I just I don't knew think that buyer's agents would have been a thing when you started the company. Like it, yeah. it's only probably the last three or four years that it's really been taken off, accepted and understood. Mm. I remember when I started it, not too dissimilar to when you did, People would say, is that even a real job? Yeah. And you go, oh, thanks. That was really polite. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get <laughs> what you, you mean. Yourself? What, why would I pay you? <laughs> exactly. And I think shows like Location, Location, Location and Million Dollar Listing have got it in people's minds a lot more and how it's more acceptable now. Now, back then, uh, I, I did find out from the Real Estate Institute that I needed a licence to, to be able to give people advice on property. And that's what I did. So I, I was on maternity leave and I got my licence 11 years ago and my daughter just turned 10 today. So, um, you know, that sort of come full circle. And I started back then with just myself and then an assistant and then grew the business to have uh, six employees and myself. And even back then, the, the the people writing the legislation and doing the licensing didn't know how to handle it. You'd ring up and say, I want to buy property and they'd think, yep. oh, well, I wouldn't think they'd say to you. They'd go, oh, I don't know if you need a license for that. Well, what do you do when you buy property? Like, 
you're p- charging money to buy property. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we I don't think we cover that. Then they brought out this buyer's agent's license, but it still wasn't uh, robust. A, a, yeah, it wasn't a very mm. good license process. So now they've sort of integrated it into the whole piece of legislation a lot better. Which it but should be. It's taken be. them a decade to get yeah. to that, right? And it should be that, really. If you think about it, we are just, we need to know exactly the same as real estate agents. Mm. What we're doing is we're dealing with a lot of money and a lot of emotions, and we need to know the legislation around what we're doing. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, when you're dealing with that much money, people. Mm. Um, not necessarily buyers, agents, but just generally within the industry, buying, selling, renting, advising, people will mislead people. People will try and get deals over the line that shouldn't get over the line because it is a significant amount of money. And if it goes wrong, people can lose a significant amount of money. Look at Opal Tower, for example. That's a devastating outcome for those people. Devastating. They talk about they might get back, I think, 20 or 30% of the value of what they paid if they all come together, all come to an agreement to sell the whole site. Mm. Like that's uh, that's pretty devastating. Yeah. It was life savings. Bankrupting them really. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, So now what does the team look like and, and what does the business look like these days? So the business is growing. Uh, I, I've got uh, four buyer's agents um, and two admin assistants. Um, one is being trained as an assistant buyer's agent. So there will be five of us very soon. And uh, yeah, and growing. And we like to, uh, in, in the business, I like to have um, experts in their field. So I have a North Shore expert. I have a Northern Beaches expert. I have an Eastern Suburb expert. I have an Inner West expert. So we have experts around the locations that we're buying consistently in. And for anyone listening to this podcast that isn't from Sydney, I would say arguably probably you just listed the most expensive markets in the country. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, all right. So auction bidding, you touched on that and said people would come to you and say, can you bid at an auction for yes. me? Why? Why do people get scared of auctions? What what happens in an auction environment? Like if I'm thinking of buying my first property or maybe my third property, but I've never had to go to auction, you know, why do agents pick auctions? Why do people get scared? Where can, How can it all go wrong at an auction? Or is it just you go there and you pop your hand in the air and you're done? Mm, no, a bit more than that. Um, look, I think that there's a lot of emotion around buying a property full stop. But when you've got a time clock on it, as in an auction, and peop- it's all moving very fast, people's hearts are racing, they're not used to it. And they, they might, I've seen people bid against themselves $50,000. Now, legally, the, um, the auctioneer can take that bid. Um, but a lot of the auctioneers are very good and they'll say, actually, that was you've already have the bid, sir. You have the highest bid. It can get confusing. It happens so quickly, yeah, doesn't it? It does. And people don't get it. I, I've had people under, uh, like, put up their hand for 10000 less than the last mm. bid. They don't know what they're doing in general. I mean, I've had people that have bought three or four properties and still are unsure and come to us for assistance. And I suppose having... 30, how much is it now? 32, 33 years of buying experience myself and then my team collectively, you know, a lot more experience between us. A lot of my um, team have actually been ex-agents too. So we get that angle from them, from the sales side. Um, So really giving our clients an an advantage in a competitive market. When it comes to auctions, a lot of people go over their their budget and haven't realised and the hammer comes down. uh, Or they say the hammer comes down, they said, oh, I would have paid what did it sell for I would have paid 10,000 more than Mm. that they they really are just unaware now obviously 
we do this for a profession. I mean, we bought five properties last week. Yeah. Um, this is what we do and we have no emotion. Um, we are there to work within our client's budget and obviously the criteria of the property and we don't get emotionally involved but we give them sensible advice on where they should place um, the maximum bet, uh, the bid because in the end it comes down to price research. If people don't do their research, they can overpay, mm. especially in a heated market where there's a lack of stock. So pre-auction, you should be doing pricing research. What else do you need to do pre-auction? Price research. Um, you also need to speak to the agent. Don't be coy. A lot of people play games with the agent and then the agent doesn't call them because they don't think they're interested. But they might have been interested, but they've played so coy that they've really missed the boat. I've heard that a lot from agents. Yeah. Obviously, we've got fantastic relationships with agents that we've built up over decades um, of buying property. And, you know, they, they will always give us information that they may not give a buyer. Mm -hmm. So that gives our clients insider information but if they're doing it by themselves, they need to do price research. They need to check if there's any neighbouring DAs, development applications that might be impacting. Why is that house cheaper than others? Oh, there's a block of units going in next door. Yeah. That sort of thing is quite important. Um, when You need to find out where the other, like any information about the other buyers, about the vendor, anything that you can find out um, that's going to give you a really good picture of where this is sitting. At the moment, most auctions are going well and above over the, um, the guide and a lot over the reserve. So you've really just got to understand where that sits and if you really are in uh, with a chance because a, a number of agents do um, price things really under where they should be when we do very diligent and detailed price research, more like a valuer. Yeah. While we're not valuers, we are we do um, take heed of what they do and bring that into our integrated process of, um, of, per, of pricing a property. So we know where we can sit and the maximum and where we know the minimum would be. Well, because the risk is if someone buys at auction and then they go to their bank and say, this is what I bought on the weekend and they've paid 400000 too much because they haven't done that research, Short it form. does get valued by the valuer, the bank may not lend them as much yep. money and they may not be able to complete that purchase. So that's a risk if they don't do that properly. A hundred percent. And this is what we saw in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, we, we saw this was a, in a lot of papers that people were overpaying back then. Now we've already surpassed, as you know, the growth in that mm -hmm. time. And we, we expect that banks are going to start pushing back, especially the people that are overpaying. But of course, we don't let our clients do that. So. Yeah. And then obviously pest and building reports, strata pest and reports, building. all that usual sort of stuff. Absolutely. Legal so, advice. Uh, legal advice, get the contract reviewed. Obviously, now that sounds really basic, but we know people that have just rocked in off the street, seen an auction and bought a property. Mm. They haven't known about, the, we haven't done any due diligence. We did due diligence on a property yesterday that we purchased last night at 11.30pm mm. um, that we found out we came in at a little bit less, even though we valued it at, at one amount, we found out there was live termites in one part of the house. Uh, and part of the negotiations was to get the current vendors to have it fumigated and, and, and you know, completely termite-free before we settle. Um, and we reduced the price that we were going to pay for that. Yeah. So that we took that into account in negotiation. So you really got to read the building and pest. So it gives you a clear indication of what that property is worth because you might find that the, the roof's sagging and you're going to spend 50 grand on redoing the roof. Yeah. And if you're going to an auction without all this information at hand, you could have a costly mistake. But if you go and do all this information for every auction and you're not going in with a budget to buy, it yep. becomes a costly way to miss out again and again because yep. there's a cost in all of this, whether you do it yourself or have help. And obviously from your side of things as a, as a professional, there's a lot of work before you even stand at the auction floor, isn't there, by uh, the sounds of it? Yeah, 100%. If we don't, we would never do, buy any property, whether it's auction or pre-auction or for sale, 
without doing our due diligence. That is absolutely a non-negotiable for us. So yes, people can spend money on multiple times going for properties that maybe were never in their budget, but that's why having a professional on your side really helps because we'll say, look, I know the guide is 1.4 and you think you're going to get it a 1.4 to 1.6, but this is really a 1.8 to 2 mil house and you mm-hmm. just don't have the budget to play in this field. And and I've had to have a little chuckle to myself from time to time. I've been to auctions as a spectator, knowing the agent or knowing the auctioneer, you know, in in the sector. So sometimes you're interested in these things. And the agent said to me, that buyer's here, he hasn't done pest and building. That buyer hasn't done pest and building. That buyer hasn't done pest and building. Yeah. And they've all assumed the other people have, so it must be okay. And I just think, like, That's it's crazy. almost just funny because it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. <laughs> if everyone makes the same assumption. Oh, I agree. And the pe- the people that we actually bought the house off that had the live termites didn't do a person building when they bought it three years ago and didn't realise there was actual termites in there. How yeah. crazy is that? Look, and one way you see from time to time, this is a, a tip I often give you, and you touched on this about... Um, bidding against yourself. You know, I've been to auctions where, you know, say you held the highest bid, Mm. for example, then they put in a vendor bid above yours and then you bid higher again. Effectively, you are bidding against yourself because if you don't make that higher jump up and there's no other bidders, they'll take you into the back room and negotiate most times, won't they? Yes. That's where they want to be. That's what the conversation they want to have. So would you bid against yourself in a vendor bid or is there better strategies around that? depends. Every single auction is a little different and it depends on how heated it can be because you can bid, um, you can reach the vendor bid. You can say, no, we're not going to reach the vendor bid. I've done both. Mm. I've come 1,000 over the vendor bid um, to to be, you know, the last person bidding uh, because otherwise they can open it back up to the floor and then somebody could have phoned their mum and got another 20 grand and then my Mm. client's out. Uh, Or just say, no, we're not going to meet that, but we will meet this. And that's Mm. where they'll take you into the back room, like you said, and have that conversation. And that can be quite um, intimidating for buyers that are not used to buying property at auction, yeah. being taken into a room away from everyone else and put the hard word on by an agent who who is very skilled at getting people up in price. So you want to be the last bid, yes. but you don't necessarily want to bid against yourself. So it's no, finding exactly. that right understanding of what all those things mean on the spot, under the spotlight, everybody looking at you. And that's yes. this 100 people going to an auction these days just for interest. All yes. the neighbours, their friends, their friends' friends. It can be overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. And numerous times clients of us ours afterwards have said, thank goodness we you we had you on our side. We could never have done this without you. And and often we'll come out of the auction and they'll say, I will say, hey, are you happy with the result? And they'll say, what did you end up buying it for? Even though they were standing right next to me. They've been so overwhelmed with the emotion, they didn't even hear the last number. <laughs> yeah. So we had a, a boom... Uh, peaked around twenty seven, end of 2017. Yes. A little bit of a, a tough year in 2018 because of the Banking Royal Commission in Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, well, across the country, to be honest. Um, but Sydney market felt it pretty heavily. 2019 rallied again towards the end and we yes. saw a little bit of growth off the back of that, which made sense. We had a f- bit of an overcorrection, I think, in 2018 with the Banking Royal Commission and then it rallied again yes. to pick that back up a bit. And now we've had this, what I would consider to be out-of-cycle growth. We, mm. we weren't due for a big boom again and it has been unprecedented. What's driving it and is it sustainable? Definitely not sustainable. That's the first thing I'll say. Um, Look, it it, it is really unprecedented and that word has been bandied about for so long now since COVID. Is that the new pivot? It is. It is. Cascading down. Um, So, look, I think there's a number of things that are driving it. I think people, we've come out of COVID pretty well compared to other places around the world. Our economy, 
thankfully from the government propping it up, uh, has helped too. And people are just wanting to get back out. We've always been a property-centric nation. Uh, and I think having people locked up for, uh, you know, a number of months on end, some states more than others, uh, have people people just feel a lot freer and they just want to get back out and get back on the normality of um, the property wagon and, and going out there and buying property. But because of the lack of stock, and this is coming from fear, so... Fear oh, that FOMO buying that fo- old chestnut. Yes, <laughs> so FOMO buying, but fear of uh, fear of not being able to find a property for the vendor. So that c- creates a whole um, cycle. So, so you've aren't got selling or listing. They're not selling mm. or listing because of fear that they won't get something because all they hear is negative press about there being lack of stock, and then people are overpaying because of the fear of missing out. So it's actually perpetuating that cycle. Yeah, it's self fulfilling prophecy. Yes. So it's being driven by. Um, what I could call, and what you've probably alluded to a bit there, is might be a bit of a false economy. It's this, yes. it's this thing that's creating its own problem. Yeah. Um, hopefully, that'll get alleviated over time. And um, what's going to happen to prices then? Are they are they going to just stop? Are they going to go backwards? Do you think? Are they going to continue to accelerate? Like, I know that's a big question because it is. it's a really unusual time we're in. Do you think we're going to see some money wiped off the table for some of these purchases? I think for the locations that we're buying in, we've still got a little bit of growth to happen. I think it's going to start petering out. Of course, we had uh, 2.1% in February growth, 37 in March, 24 in April. Uh, so I still expect May to be two or in the twos. Uh, and I think that will carry on for um, you know a number more months. July, June, July, winter is usually slower and usually lack of stock. People wait to put their house on in a spring and autumn which personally I think is crazy. You go when there's lack of stock because you mm. get more money. Um, but next year we definitely expect it to um, to correct. Mm. So I don't think people are going to lose money unless they're flipping. You yeah. know, if you're holding the asset long term, you know, it's irrelevant for the peaks and troughs as long as, you know, you're holding it. But if you're flipping in a market like this, you've got to be really um, careful to protect your margins. So home buyers are making a lifestyle decision, but investors need to be cautious around the decisions they're taking yeah. and, and well-researched and educated around it. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, um, from COVID, we did have a slump in rents. Uh, so, you know, we just have to protect that with our clients um, when they're investors. But that's starting to pick back up now. We've started seeing increases in the locations we buy in Sydney. Um, but I do expect next year there to be a correction. And, you know, while we might, let's just say we have a 20% growth this year, which we're well on the way with, what it is, at 8.7 all up. Um I would expect next year, you know, you, you probably got negative growth or, you know, it's just going to plateau for a while and then it'll start picking back up in a few years' time after correcting for a few years, I think, which is how all cycles have been since I started buying property in yeah, 88. It's as all you know. cyclical, isn't yeah. it? So who are the winners and losers at the moment in the Sydney market? The winners are vendors wanting to sell in this market and buy in the same market. Losers are the poor people that sold in the middle of COVID. We've just had a client come on board that sold in June last year. Her property would be would have been worth four to five hundred thousand dollars more if she had have sold now. And she's trying. And to now she's that gap. so she's yeah. See, if you buy and sell in the same market, even though you are paying a higher price now, you you got a high price for your property. So you, you know yeah. that's fair. But when you're selling in a down downturn market and then buying in a peak, that's that's the losers, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, off market buying. What does that look like? Is it real? Is it, you know, if agents are sort of putting out to their social media database, Facebook, 
Twitter, LinkedIn, buyers, agents, and then their buyers database, but it's just not on realestate.com yet. Mm. Is that actually off market? What do you consider off market? Yeah, that's a really good question. So off market um, has many different... Um, you know, ideas through agents, etc. Like you said, look, a true off market shouldn't be advertised anywhere. And I have a number of them. Some of them we have exclusively. We bought one in Leichhardt um, two weeks ago, which ex- was exclusively to us. But, and then if we we had um, 72 hours to decide whether we were going to buy it with our client and then it was going to go out to the database, that's a true off-market, yeah. not advertised anywhere. Uh, and then there's off-markets that, like you said, go out to the database. I would call that a pre-market because yeah. if it doesn't sell that way, then it's going to be put on market. Uh, and off-market social media, well, if they're putting all the details up, is it off-market because it's being advertised? Not really. Mm. It's a um, it, Again, it's a pre-market. It's a different marketing strategy. But look, I don't think it really matters. People get hung up especially when coming to see us because they think, oh, great, off-market. And it is fantastic. We, need, we At the moment, our numbers are, we've bought 31 properties and 13 have been off-market. Mm-hmm. 15 have been bought pre-auction, even in an auction-centric market, and the rest yeah. have been at auction. Now, it is appealing because obviously we're opening more doors as a connected buyer's agent. Not all buyer's agents are created equal. Mm-hmm. Somebody been around as long as I have and we have um, will open more doors than somebody that opened their doors a few you know months or years ago. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it, it's a different kettle of fish, what you can get out of, you know, off markets. Yeah. And why would an agent sell off market? So that 72 hour one, why yeah. would they do that? Okay. So there's a number of reasons. Um, firstly, it, they might've bought somewhere else. So I bought a really amazing, again, this was an exclusive off market in Annandale. They'd actually bought elsewhere and they had, they had to settle in four weeks. So they didn't have time to put their, their property mm. on the market and have a campaign. So they went to a really connected agent. So being homeless is a pretty big driver. <laughs> it is a big driver. Um, so they went to an agent that was very well connected. Um, so the first thing I got a call was, do you have a buyer at this price point? Yes, because they had seen me around um, at a number of opens. And would you think your client would like this house? Sent me some photos. Yes, I do. I went in and saw it at the five o'clock on on the Wednesday and did my due diligence on the Thursday and I bought it on the Friday before anybody else knew about it. Um, So that was one driving factor. Another, it might be a divorce. People might not want other people in the street to know they're going through a divorce and they want a quiet sale. Or older people during COVID not wanting people coming traipsing through their house and they just want to protect that as much as possible. They may not want to pay marketing if it's a really unrenovated property that they've been inherited or they've just they just want to get rid of. They don't want to pay marketing. They don't want to pay styling for a property that may sit or may not sell. You know, there's lots of different reasons and driving factors. They might say, an off-market might say, if I don't get 2.5, then I won't sell off-market. We'll take it to market. So it might be on the high end of what we value it at, but we don't have as much competition. Mm -hmm. So we'll still you know, put that forward as a really good option for a client. So there's lots of different reasons. Yeah, fantastic. Um, If I'm priced out, of the Sydney market, what do I do? Then you come and see us and Suburbanite so we can help them um, choose something around the country. And that's a really good question. So a lot of clients, especially when they've got lower budgets for Sydney, I won't say for the rest of the country, but let's say somebody comes to us with 700000 and they've got it and they want to get something, um, an investment property, I would definitely say look at um, getting a 
a house with a piece of land around the country, not a house and land package, but an existing property through our network with Suburbanite. So we can actually get them a really great yield. Um, some of the locations are four plus percent, which in Sydney we're not achieving really right now um, with the downturn in rental, the rental market. And they've actually got a piece of land that'll grow at a higher rate than a unit because 700,000 in Sydney will be a unit. Yeah, and, and that's a really good point. Some people, they might have started only three months ago with a budget that could have worked. Yeah. And then suddenly it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Suddenly $50,000 growth and that property yeah. is now worth 750 and they don't have the money for yeah. it. Or what they're getting at that price, they just don't want anymore. Exactly. It's going to need so much work. It's going to be a money pit. Yeah. And take that same money into state and it could be a really nice, modern, low-maintenance property. And if, if I want to live in it though, so I'm thinking if I'm in the mindset, I want to buy somewhere to live and I'm, fe- mm. I'm feeling priced out. So for investors, it's much easier. It's putting the round he- peg in the round hole and it just should be about the numbers. Yeah. But if I want to live in Sydney, is there a strategy that investing, and this is probably what you've maybe done in your portfolio over the mm. years, you invest, whether it be in Sydney or interstate or whatever that looks like, to build the equity to get back into Sydney. Do you think yeah. there's something in that? How would that work? Well, I've done that my whole life, as yep. you mentioned. Um, so I started buying, uh, you know, studios and then built up. And every time I renovated, I got uh, a valuer to come in and revalue and then work out how much equity. And then I tipped, you know, stepped on the next stepping stone up to the next property. So I went from a studio to a one bed, a one bed to a two bed, etc. And every single time I renovated and added value, whether I Sometimes I would keep them, sometimes I would flip them. But if I kept them, I would draw that equity out and buy another property and leverage that. And that is the best way that I can say that I have built a portfolio and that is how I like to see my clients do the same. So 85% of our clients renovate and I think some of them have never renovated before but I can give them the confidence knowing Mm -hmm. what I know and having decades worth of renovation experience um, to help them through the journey and build their actual wealth through property rather than buying someone else's renovation and helping them the way. Yeah. So if I'm feeling that I want to get into the Sydney market and you talk to me about more affordable markets, perhaps interstate, yep. it's not no to Sydney, it's just maybe not right now. It's not right now. Let's come back in three years. Let's come back in four years and have the budget to get what we want. Yeah. And I know we've we've you've helped us um, with clients that have done the same. So, you know, let's build a portfolio of two or three properties around um, the different states. And then if we have to sell them in four years to get your dream home in Sydney, mm-hmm. after you've got the growth in those markets, fantastic, because then we've got more money. But at the moment, You've, you've got a low budget to get what you, your ideal home. So let's try other markets that have been performing so we can actually draw that out and then, you know, whether either draw equity or sell them and, and get a better property in Sydney. Yep. So I'm if I'm a, a client of Amanda Gould's and I've bought COVID, pre-COVID, mm-hmm. the last three or four years and I bought my, you know, $2 million house that now has a price tag of 2.8 yep. on it Easy. in a matter of months. Easy, yes. <laughs> I have equity... Um, you know, I may, maybe I don't want to spend a million or two million on investment property. Can I come to you and what are my options? Should I be, I mean, should I be getting that equity out now and mm. investing now? I mean, we're talking about Sydney not being sustainable, but there's a lot of sustainability in some other markets with major infrastructure projects, employment, things like that. Um, should I be doing that now? Should I be getting that equity out in case the market does go backwards? Like what if the $2.8 million valuation in a year's time is 2.4 and suddenly it doesn't seem as desirable to pull that money out and tuck it up against an offset if I'm not quite ready? Should I be putting more money into renovating my home and increasing that? Like what can I be doing? How do I how do I leverage an opportunity right now? And, and is it something I can go and talk to you about? Absolutely. So if your house is worth, you know, 800, 500, 600,000 more than you bought it for um, three or four years ago with us. Well, three or four months ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In this market, who knows? 
um, then definitely leverage that and I would get the um, an offset account mm-hmm. and have that the bank value it at that price now because in a year's time it may not be worth, worth that. Yeah. So why not get that leverage right up now in the high market? Well, you get that high val. High val, use that 800000 because like you said, in, in a year's time it might be worth two point five or 2.6 or 2.7, even though you're not selling, you need that equity to buy the best property you can around the country to give yeah. you, um, you know, further growth and potential um, opportunities. Yeah, so then I come and talk to you and I say, what are my options? So we can look at things like whether we come back and spend that 800000 in Sydney when the market has come back a bit and pick up the opportunities when there's more property on the market and there are better deals to be had potentially. I can look at that renovation project. They might even have investments that they've been thinking about renovating and flipping and they just haven't had that confidence and now the money's there with Mm -hmm. the right guidance, it might be time. Absolutely. Or look at something interstate if their budget doesn't get them into this high-priced Sydney market. So just because you're sitting in Sydney with one asset doesn't mean that's the end of your property journey. Absolutely. Like let's leverage it. And I think one of of our – our vision, mission, values with our clients is think big picture. It always is. It's not just, hey, I want to buy this home in Roselle. Mm. I just say that because that's where I've just come from, an off-market <laughs> opportunity. Um, but, you know, what's your big picture look like? Okay, this is what we get with your home. What's the next step? So you're thinking about, you know, down the track investing in a property and how does, when, what's the time frame? have you thought about that? What, what does it look like? And ask the key questions. So they actually, I've already started thinking, oh, actually, no, I haven't thought about that. Well, why not think about that at the very beginning? Mm -hmm. So when I call them in a year and tell them what their property's worth or two years, et cetera, say, hey, look, you've built up a bit of equity. Let's, you know, have a chat with your mortgage broker, um, one of our strategic partners, and make sure that you you can have got borrowing capacity or you can draw out that equity to purchase the next property and start that growth journey. Let's not wait eight years. Let's do it now while the market's hot. Where are people going wrong in the market at the moment? Desperation. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely desperation. I mean, we go to a lot of auctions every single week, but we you know, obviously we're guiding our clients on where the value sits. And when we see people paying ridiculous sums of money, um, like you said previously, the banks are going to start pushing back and say, actually, that's not the true value of the property. There's no stats that back that up. And that's what our job is to guide our clients. So I think overpaying at the moment is the biggest and playing games with the agent is the second biggest. Yeah, because I mean, the agent's there to get a deal over the line. Yep. So there's still a professional way to handle that without playing games. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've seen time and time again and clients that come into us and say, oh, the agent was playing games. Well, were you not answering his calls when he was trying to tell you that there's an offer on the table they're willing to accept? Because a lot of the time they can't get through to people and if they don't, they, they're not going to let a deal go, you know, out the door for the sake of, um, you know, the possibility of something else. They well, want to get something that's tangible. It. It's yeah. their job. <laughs> um, where are people winning in this market? Where, where are the, where are people getting the, how are they getting it right? What are they doing right? How, I, what are the choosing, tips for choosing the best? us? Yeah. Of course, <laughs> to help them. I would say that's the biggest tip is yeah. having a really connected buyer's agent on your side that can walk you through the quagmire, which it is at the moment, um, or the maze of buying a property. Uh, even if you've done it once or twice before, just having somebody on your side, um, getting it right, and really knowing um, the true value of the property. If you're out there doing it yourself, you know, I think the people that know when to stop at an auction also are getting it right because they're not overpaying. But, you know, every single month the, mar- the market moves up. So we've just got to be really 
mindful that if we're, we're paying at the top end of our client's budget, if we don't do that, next month it's worth another $50,000 and then they're priced out. So I think getting it right is a really um, fine line at the moment. So if you went to your broker tomorrow, Amanda, and he said you've got a million dollars to play with. Yep. I already have. What would you do with it? That's a good question because I'm just waiting for my um, pre-approval to come in. I've put all the paperwork in now and I've got about 1.2. I'm going to be uh, buy an unrenovated property Mm -hmm. and I'm going to flip it. What area is he looking? Inner West. Yeah, that's where I live. You love the Inner West? (laughs) Um, Look, I grew up on the Northern Beaches. I know the the North Shore, the Eastern Suburbs I've also lived in. But uh, the Inner West is hot right now and a lot of of people are coming from the Eastern Suburbs for affordability, but it's still, you know, close enough to the city. I mean, I live in Tempe and I can't tell you how off the Richter Tempe has gone because people are priced out of Marrickville. Mm. The same with Earlwood. People are priced out of Marrickville. So the two... Next suburbs are Tempe and Irwood, and they're the ones that, that have now gone through the roof in price, where last year they're $400,000 difference in, in some houses that we're seeing to what we could have bought last year. So, you know, the, the, it's increased. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the actual RP data figures when they come out for the growth in these suburbs because it has been through the roof. You know, Elwood used to be affordable. You used to be able to get a really good house for like 1.6, 1.7. Those houses are now two, two plus mil. So you work with a lot of agents. I'd yes. say probably almost every agent in Sydney would have had some sort of dealing with your firm at some yes, point in they time. Yes, know, they know us pretty well. Most of them have my number saved in their phone. <laughs> what makes a good agent and what makes a bad agent? I think a good agent is a good communicator. Um, and I know they can be really busy. We all are. But I think communication is key. Uh, I think... Transparency to a point. Um, I think if they are personable, some work really well with buyers, some work really well with sellers and not buyers. And I think that some of them are great all-rounders. So I think communication, um, you know, transparency, if you've got another offer, being transparent about the way you're handling it. I mean, one of the best questions to ask an agent is how will you handle multiple offers? That's Mm -hmm. the first thing we ask. Uh, And people don't ask it. And then they end up in a bidding war and they get angry. Well, how did you think it was going to play out if you didn't ask Mm. Um, because there can be closed bids you know best and final on a contract there can be an auction there can be um, you know what they call a Dutch auction which is going back and forward until the last dollars you know put in Uh, so I think an agent that is transparent along the whole process uh, personable uh, takes time out to actually listen to buyers rather than just rushing them through there's a lot of things that make a really good agent yeah, great. What what are some of the things that make an agent not quite so good to do? Um, well, pretty much the same things in reverse. You know, yeah. somebody that doesn't communicate. I mean, we've had that before where we've we've made an offer and then they don't come back to us and we've chased them five times and we have to get back to our clients. Yeah. So not coming back to another agent, that's just should not happen. It's unprofessional. Uh, it is unprofessional. Uh, and there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of people out there in all walks of life that are unprofessional. Uh, I think, you know, being above board, um, having integrity in everything you do, being transparent. So if you're non-transparent, if you're um, not a good communicator, you don't answer people, um, you know, there's there's some people that don't know how to negotiate. So they just run everything to auction, regardless of what is happening in the market, because they really don't know how to handle uh, a negotiation process. And we've seen that quite a bit, especially in a market like this, that it's just easy enough to take it to, to auction. But last year, you know, then the agents that couldn't negotiate, we really found because they had to negotiate and they had to learn on the fly mm. because they're so used to being auction centric. So if I'm a buyer in the market and I've got an offering with an agent and I'm not getting a response, I'm not getting the communication I need, what can I do about that? Any, is there anything I can do? 
Look, there's always two people on the um, that usually there's usually two agents that will um, be at an open and be on the listing. Speak to the other agent. Find out if that agent has an assistant. Speak to the assistant. We've spoken to reception before if we haven't been able to get onto them. I've also spoken to the principal. Yeah. I mean, it's about me getting my clients offer you know, over the line and whatever it takes. I mean, like I said, we were we did a deal last night at 11.30pm last night. It's about, you know, getting that deal done no matter what. I remember one scenario many, many, many years ago um, <laughs> when I was buying down in Wollongong for a client and the agent who's very old school and a very cranky old man wouldn't accept an offer from us because, and I quote, I don't know what buyer's agents are, but it seems dodgy to me, so I'm not <gasps> dealing with you. Really? Um, so, no, we, we went backwards and forwards for a while in Crazy. that scenario. And then he um, was taking other offers and ringing me and telling me what other offers he was taking but saying he wouldn't accept one for us. So he's a bit he's being a bit of a cheeky old bugger. Yeah. He was renowned in the area for not being the nicest gentleman or the most professional gentleman. Went to his principal. His principal was away, so I couldn't get in touch with the principal. So I had someone else ring up and ask for a copy of the contract and we submitted our offer direct to the, to uh, the vendor solicitor. solicitor. Yeah. It didn't go down very well. We, we no. burnt a relationship with him, but we never really had one, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I get why you would do that. And I think in 11 years, I've only done that twice. Yeah. And that's really been extreme circumstances. I would never want to take um, to cut out an agent, but if they're not doing the right thing, and they're not getting back to you and you've got no choice and you're working for the buyer, then you're working yeah. for the buyer. And blatantly um, going against legislation by saying, I'm not taking offers from you, but I'm taking them from yeah. other people. Yeah, this not is what right. they are. He al- we also had an inkling with that one. He had a buyer that he wanted to be successful on the property. Yeah. Yep. He had a listing and they were a friend. We kind of knew what was happening behind the scenes. A small town, rumours yeah. go around. So we felt we had to circumvent that situation. But as an average buyer, you wouldn't pick up on those clues. You wouldn't no. understand what was happening behind the scenes. You wouldn't know where to go or what to do. No. And I think that's where the communication I I said um, previously is just keep in touch with it. Really, it's not that hard, even if it's just a text message saying, (laughs) hey, we're about to sell this. If you're interested, please come Mm. back to us as soon as possible. We want you to be able to buy it if you're interested. But you've you've got to do your due diligence in a timely manner. If you like a property, don't wait until the 11th hour to do it a day before auction. Mm. Do it, you know, well in advance. So if you need to play that game, um, you can put in an offer prior. So talking strategy for a minute, and we ask this question of everyone, there's different strategies out there. There's, mm. you know, rent vesting, buying and renovating and flipping. There's getting DAs. There's hold, all all of the range of strategies. And I know you like the the buy and renovate. Let's mm. say you've got a client that says, oh, I don't, I don't want to renovate. It's not something I'm going to do. It's not my strategy. Yep. What other strategies do you like? What works? What doesn't work? Look, it's just every single client is different. While a large number of our clients do renovate, even if they've never done it before, because they see the value in in our value proposition, um, it doesn't mean that it's for everybody. Mm. Uh, If people want to have a fully renovated house, then we'll go for that for them. But if it's an investor, um, you know, we, we work in line a lot with the, with their financial planner. So they, it probably not asking them to renovate. They're probably (laughs) asking them to buy something that's a recent, recent build. And that again, opens up another can of worms. Mm. You touched on Opal Towers. Um, We want to know the builder. We want to know their track record. We want to know the developer also. Uh, So I tend to buy from people that I know, developers or or builders that I know have been through their projects or I bought their projects previously and I know they're still standing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Without, you know, issues. So, or if there are issues, which, you know, they they fix within the seven year um, builder's warranty. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. 
Amanda Gould, it's always a pleasure. Uh, where can people reach you if they want to ask questions? They can reach me on 1300 High Spec, H I S P E C, or Instagram, highspec.properties, and our website, highspecproperties.com.au. Thank you, Anna. Fantastic. That's another episode of the Property Experience. Happy house hunting. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Property Experience. Stay tuned for more great content.